Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater, uh, the show where we talk about movies and TV shows as we re-watch them together. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or you're watching the past broadcast, you can always catch me live at repeattheaterlive.com. You can remove the live and just go to repeattheater.com if you want to become a patron of this channel. Easiest way to support me, though, is on the YouTube, repeattheaterlive.com. Click subscribe and the bell button so you can be here for these discussions. We get more people asking questions and doing VIP call-ins. Really enjoyable. Right now, it's a Tuesday, so we're working through a television show. Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern is when we do these episodes. We're working our way through Stranger Things. I've already watched it uh, at least twice. This is like my third watch through. This will be about season one, episodes one and two. This will be spoiler-free. I'm not going to make connections outside of these two episodes. So if you're worried about me pulling in things that happen later in the seasons, we won't get into that until we get into VIP call-ins. VIP call-ins may not happen today because they are dependent upon people being here and there being demand, but we already have some good questions submitted. So let's just start it off with episode one. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of the series. This is one of the few shows that I feel I can always kind of rewatch and pick up on things maybe that I missed the first time because there are so many good connections. I actually forgot how it starts off with the super sort of scary traditional horror scene in the laboratory. The guy trying to get to the elevator and then he looks up and gets attacked. I I appreciate that they don't wait to do that. They want to set the tone right away that this is going to be a a show that is scary. There's there's a monster. You know, it's, it's, it's a thriller kind of sci-fi you know eerie show and I like that they started off that way because they transitioned from that to the kids playing D&D they're playing Dungeons and Dragons I think the kid introductions are great obviously the the child the child actors are a lot older now they don't even seem like children anymore you know some of them are getting into you know major movies and stuff they really have you know this is really uh, got a lot of their careers kickstarted so it was kind of neat to see them all young and 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 just you know and their voices are different and everything and i think the way they introduce them is great i like the the demogorgon it got me the parallels almost immediately happening there no spoilers but unless you're com- like completely asleep watching this show you should pick up on the parallels between what's happening in their D game uh, and what what happens in this episode? Because you know what happens to Will. Uh, the music in the bike ride is so good. This is actually one of the few shows where I don't skip the intro. I don't know about you, but a lot of shows you get sick of seeing the intro and you kind of skip it. One of the greatest features to ever come to Netflix: the skip intro. But I don't skip it on Stranger Things. I think the music is such a tone-setting effect, and that was certainly true on their bike ride. I just I love the way that it feels. It immediately owns the era that they're in their clothes the house the mom's hairstyle and then the lights on their bikes and the music i absolutely love it you know as a as a kid who grew up in the 80s and the 90s you know it, it's 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 cool to see a lot of the things from my childhood in there star wars and everything else uh, will's acting and disappearance is excellent i actually think one of the reasons this show has been so successful is they picked stellar actors they're so young and it is gripping the intensity his ability to show fear he's also able to show bravery i absolutely love the way that they set up his disappearance because it's the central point of the season and they waste no time. I mean, you're, I don't even know how many minutes you're in when it happens. Maybe 13 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. It's very early in the show. He's gone. That, 
they also I think they I don't know if they make this clear but it's not a slasher it does get a little bit more violent in some of the later seasons there is some blood and stuff but it's not a slasher obviously when you see a young kid in danger in a show like this you're like oh my gosh am I gonna see some young kid get ripped to pieces but you don't it's just a disappearance he's just kind of gone it makes it feel like a unique sci-fi thriller it, uh, it's clearly scary and very very intense uh, and the sound effects you know for the the thing that takes him uh, is is really really good one of the things I think that drives this show in and it makes me like it so much I always like character driven shows and so as they introduce the characters in, in episode one especially they do something that I think is really really well done as as a storytelling uh, mechanic they're honest hopper's intro is so raw and so honest his like pants are undone you can kind of see his underwear he's a little overweight there's beer cans everywhere he's smoking he's a he's a train he's kind of a a rough around the edges just a bit of a wreck and then all of a sudden you realize he's the sheriff and i loved the honesty i loved how it felt just raw and real this is what a real person would look like when they wake up and what they would feel like and clearly there's some you know something going on here he doesn't seem like he's in the greatest place then you know they introduce joyce and jonathan byers and again immediate tension with sadness you can sense that you know there is there's a sadness in the home already they don't even realize that will has 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 disappeared yet and there's already a a, a sadness in the home you know because jonathan's being scolded about he's working too much and he's you know you got you got your son working and making breakfast breakfast and the mom's getting ready to go to work the subtle, the subtle way they tell the story without holding your hand is something I enjoy in shows like this. I don't know any details about why Hopper is sad and kind of, in kind of a bit of a, you know, a bit of a destroyed person. We find that out in, in a little bit later, and we don't really know what's going on with Joyce, Jonathan, and the Byers family, but you can sense that sadness and that pain immediately. What Nancy and Steve. I, it's it's believable and it's charming and obviously Nancy is just adorable but I I think they're probably my least favorite element of these first couple of episodes I know that, that both of those characters really come into their own later on I end up liking them more later I'm not going to get into spoilers about what happens with Nancy and Steve but I kind of find their presence in these first couple episodes a little annoying I don't know if that's on purpose I again she's as, as, as cute as they come and he's obviously like the you know the super good looking dude and I think they play their parts well but I didn't find their 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 contribution to the early episodes all that great Winona Ryder is got to be my favorite person in the series I think she is frazzled and excellent when she realizes he's gone and she confronts Hopper she is just she's she's got this shaking strength and resolve she she blends intensity and anger sadness worry she is a cocktail of emotions in every single scene and i love her delivery of of joyce and what she's going through and trying to find will i really think without her level of acting it would have the show would have struggled because her 
her presence in the first two episodes is so so important uh, in figuring out what in the frick happened with Will Byers and I, she I can't I can't say it enough she is a huge asset to the show I, I absolutely love her in this show uh, the laboratory returns about 20 minutes in I like that we're gonna link back to the larger story of what's going on here's this laboratory where this guy died there's guns there's hazmat uh, it's a sharp juxtaposition to the small town of Hawkins and I thought they did a really good job with that it's there's clearly two worlds oh man that's a great parallel right there's clearly two worlds going on here there's Hawkins and then there's this other world where there's hazmat suits and guns and experiments going on you're like what in the frick is going on and I love their their ability to blend the worlds like that it makes for great great storytelling you're like what the frick is going on you're super interested right you're immediately interested in what's going on because if it was just about these kids in this neighborhood and stuff you might not care but that undercurrent of severity and seriousness that tone of sobriety I think really really helps uh, set the stage in just the very very first episode then the girl uh, you see the growth on the wall and they mention the girl and you know oh my gosh something else is going on here it's 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 not just a demon it's not just a monster or something it's more than that they mention a girl uh, then comes the diner owner I I didn't realize this so just a little nugget of fun for you guys the diner owner I love him he's great I know he was in that show this is us as the heavier boyfriend he's also taser face from <laughs> he's Taserface from Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's two. I think it's the sequel. He plays Taserface. So the diner owner in episode one of Stranger Things is Taserface. Just a little nugget of fun for you guys that like uh, that. That that's that's a that's a comedic moment from that that movie. You know, everybody laughing at his name Taserface. One of the things I think uh, that I've, I always want to appreciate in shows like this is when they set up characters and then they bring them together and there's a really, really good clash. So when Hopper sits down with the boys in like the, you know, the principal's office, it's just so accurate to what that would be like. Hopper is big. He's huge. He's got this presence and he's grumpy and the boys are just boys. They're hitting each other. They're arguing, <laughs> you know, and he's like one at a time. I, I, I absolutely love the way they did that and something that they do in this show is they set up shots really well so the shot there of the three boys on the couch all kind of squeezed in and then hopper stands up and looks down at them they use camera angles and shots really well and they go from there to the camera shot of the diner owner and 11 and she's this teeny tiny thing and he's enormous he's just a monster of a man and i love that when they do that they set up a scene where there's she is so different than him and yet he's trying to help her out and then without without you know they, they don't they don't wait long to show you there's something special about her she stops the fan with her mind and I like a show that gets right into it they don't wait they don't wait all oh, we're gonna wait three or four episodes five episodes before we know like what's special about this girl she's she's got very little screen time before you know holy moly she can do things with her mind she stops the fan now hop finds uh, the shed 
And when he finds the shed, he realizes it's time to look. This is one of the beginning. Uh, this is going to be one of the beginning, you know, indications that that Hopper is more than just a like a, a small town sheriff. He clearly has experience, and they're laying some of that groundwork. They mention some of that throughout. He, you know, he's not in the big city anymore. I think they reference that in, in these episodes. And so I like that as soon as he finds the shed, you can tell he knows what he's doing. You can tell, oh man, we got to look for this guy. Uh, then the wheelers, something that they do in Stranger Things that I love as someone who grew up in a bigger family and I got kids of my own is they portray families accurately. I actually think that's really, really good. The Wheeler dinner is so, so accurate. I was dying laughing when she's like, I hope you're enjoying your chicken, Ted. And he's like, what did I do? Because the kids are arguing and Nancy leaves and everything. It's just a train wreck of a family dinner and the dad's just like, I just want to sit here and eat in peace. <laughs> he doesn't He doesn't intervene. He doesn't say anything. It just again there's an honesty about how they portray the families and some of the situations that I really really appreciate it makes the story believable it feels more immersive as this this could actually happen to some small town uh, that we finally get a glimpse into Hop's character depth when we hear about his daughter and how she died a while back, and we also get a glimpse into his character. He lies and acts as if she, he 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 answers the question as if she's still alive and she's not there anymore. She lives with her mother or whatever, and we find out no, she's actually dead. And that's a great, great little little drop of oh wow, there's depth to this person. He you know he lost a daughter. We all we all know losing a child is is a bit of a uh, an increase of a character's depth and, and and sorrowfulness, especially as they're searching for another child that's lost. You know, I think you know he relates to it in a pretty big way. Obviously, with with not having his own daughter, we learn later about what happened to her. Uh, Nancy's with you know, and Steve sneaking in uh, to the diner and death and Eleven's escape. So. This again is something I think they do very, very well in Stranger Things is that they don't, they don't leave you in a certain category and feeling like Nancy and Steve are like, oh, it's the cute romance. And as soon as that scene's over with him sneaking in and trying to be charming, we immediately go to the guy in the diner getting shot, right? He's boom, gone. Uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he's killed. It's like, oh my gosh. And then Eleven's escape. So the severity and the seriousness always seems to kind of come right on the heels of, oh, ha, 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 lighthearted. And then boom, all of a sudden it's serious again. And we know it's serious if they're willing to just shoot this guy in the diner. They just, they just blow him away. Uh, one of the... One of the elements of the the Byers family that I love is anytime they're kind of in the home, there's this sense of darkness, and and that's going to come into you know the next episode that I'm going to talk about here in just a minute. But there's a sense of darkness, and when they're grieving with the picks, it's powerful and it's full of history. They give you these little nuggets of history, backstory, and character development and character depth that. Again, they're not holding your hand, and I love their th- that element of storytelling. When they look at the pictures, and they're talking, and they're laughing. Uh, I-, I love a story that gives me depth. I-, I don't get to see any of that. That happened before I showed up as the viewer, right? And yet, you're still letting me in. You're still letting me in, and, and I-, I get to know about it. I get to hear about it, and it adds that depth, and it adds that empathy that you feel uh, for the character. Uh, and then the boys meet Eleven. 
in 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 the forest and you know classic show ender oh my gosh what happens next boom that's the end they meet her in the rain uh out in the forest so that's episode one let's go to episode two um i'm gonna try and go a little bit faster we're already at 15 minutes so uh mike leaves the door cracked whenever eleven's gonna change her clothes she doesn't have any sense of propriety she's just gonna like take her clothes off and the boys like freak out they're like no and they give her privacy and then he leaves the door cracked i'm gonna bring that back later for some spoilers for a later season if we get to do vip if we don't get to do vip i won't get to mention it um i it's at first i think the first time i watched this i was like she's just gonna stay in the basement and nobody's gonna freaking realize she's down there i think it's believable the more the more you watch and the more you see uh how the family how their day flows it's it's just totally believable that she would just be down there by herself like nobody else has a reason to go down uh into the basement and so it's it, it first i remember my first watch through i thought this is just stupid like come on they're not gonna find her down there but it becomes more believable i think as the seasons go on that the that the the way that the the, the wheelers family and operates and how they're all kind of there and doing all their different things it's it's believable that she could just kind of hang out down there uh the boys don't want to get in trouble but there's still an innocence there they're more concerned about themselves so like this is again this is where they're they're showing you there's a lot to the characters even though they're young they're motivated by not getting in trouble and not getting grounded but at the same time there's like an innocence in their characters in the way they have it the way they have them portrayed uh it's one of the only oh i already said one of the only shows i don't skip the intro joyce being manic about the posters and the phone is again just a continuance of her frazzled strength she's frazzled she's she's freaking out but she's so strong the phone she swore it was her son she knows it's him she knows his way he breathes the way oh and then the moment she she knows it was will it's it's this great tension with hopper she knows it's him and then she says too much she says wouldn't you know your own daughter and there's that instant regret it's my favorite thing in movies and tv shows where somebody says something they know they shouldn't have said and that instant oh I, i shouldn't have said that i absolutely love that another hint at the depth and the pain of hopper why would she have that immediate regret about saying that like clearly something you know obviously she's not around anymore she's dead we know that but we don't know you know what went through it just such good good you know there's a history there between them with the way that she says it with the way that she talks to him I, I thought that was excellent Millie Bobby Brown as as 11 she sells the gravity of the bad people that are after her with almost no dialogue that was one of the things I immediately picked up on is you can feel the fear and the severity and she says virtually nothing so with almost no dialogue Millie Bobby Brown this is why I think she's really catapulted as an actor she sells it there is such a a seriousness and there's a fear just all with facial expression only we know man somebody after this is bad we got we got to try to help her uh nancy approaching jonathan at school is really accurate to high school i was definitely in that crowd in high school kind of one of the people that was made fun of and not cool and when he comes in to put the poster up that thread of sadness this is this is again is what they do is they set up these really strong themes that the theme of sadness that we saw is set up immediately with joyce and jonathan byers in the home that darkness you see that contrast when he's in the bright halls of the school and there's lights and everyone's laughing and bustling and there's like a cloud over him just his presence the way he walks the way he 
carries himself very well done throwing that theme of sadness into an environment where it doesn't fit and he's a misfit and he like he he doesn't belong I, I, I thought that was very very uh, well done Jonathan's memory of Will with the music wonderful storytelling great backstory we, we, we see he's kind of had to step up and be the man and be the and be the big brother I as a guy you know as a guy who had brothers growing up I still do have brothers but like growing up and listening to music and jamming I, I, I thought that was just a really good another honest scene you know it's it's a little awkward it's like they're just sitting there like bobbing their heads like yeah that's what they would have done back then you know a lot of people didn't own televisions a lot of people didn't have Ataris that's what they would have done for entertainment they would have sit and they would just listen to music. They would jam out. It was very, it was very honest about what that kind of uh, that kind of a life that they probably had. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of things. The Joyce pushing for the phone two weeks advance and a pack of camels is another scene that makes it undeniable that Winona Ryder is is one of the shining beacons in the show. Just the way she's like, I'm gonna need two weeks advance. And she's like, I've worked X number of years here. I've never taken a sick day. And he's like, okay. And she's like, and a pack of camels. <laughs> it's wonderful. The way she asserts herself, the way that she pushes for it, even though she seems like she's at the end of her tether, there is the strength and resolve as she's just holding on as best she can, I, I think is, is, uh, is, is wonderful. Um... Let's see what happened next. Oh, Eleven recognizes Will in the photo. They just dangle it, and then there's the closet with the flashback. So they dangle the fact that like Eleven recognizes Will, and you're like, what's that mean? I I, I thought that was very, very good. Again, don't tell us. Let it progress on its own. Don't tell us everything all at once. The way they kind of drip some of these details out is very, very good. Uh... Finding Benny dead, Hopper seems unconvinced. I absolutely love that. There's a clear difference between the small town cops and Hopper. Hopper knows something's wrong. He says Benny was his friend. It makes sense they'd be friends. They just seem like similar kind of guys. You could kind of picture him watching, you know, football games together and stuff. He finds him dead. He's clearly angry. And I love just with his face, he sells it. He's not convinced. He feels like there's something else going on. We as the viewer know something else is going on. Then... We get to see Eleven again. This is the second time she shows off her power. She slams the door. Uh, this is her first power showing to other people. So she stops the fan, but she kind of does that in secret. But this is her first power showing to other people. I like that the fan stopping was kind of done in secret, and we didn't know if her powers were purely like electrical, or in this case, she literally moves the door and freaks the kids out. Uh, the search for Will leading to the lab fence is foreboding. I like that they do that. They use camera angles and sort of surprise shots, like when suddenly they're looking at Eleven in the in the forest with their flashlights, and suddenly there's this fence in this laboratory. Again, it's foreboding. It's it's almost like foreshadowing that eventually they're going to have to figure out what's going on on the other side of the fence. Uh, then we start to get very, very nondescript explanations as to what's going on she picks up the wizard 11 picks up the wizard and says it's will and she proceeds to con- uh and then the parallels continue so if you remember in the first episode you know the dungeons and dragons parallel where he says the demogorgon got me he's honest before he leaves he tells well the demogorgon got me and then he drives home and then the demogorgon gets him right we don't know what the demogorgon is but that's what they refer to it as she she 
she definitely is is attempting to give them pieces of how what happened in their Dungeons and Dragons game seems to parallel. Now, that doesn't mean that like the Dungeons and Dragons game was prophetic, but I really liked how they did that where they 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 sort of said what we were thinking and they then they sort of put it into words with 11. Um Will says mom through the new phone and Joyce is such a fury that that it sets her up when he says mom I don't know about you I got goosebumps so she gets her new phone he says mom we hear it she hears it it's audible it's like okay she's 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 right she's, she's got it figured out and then the lights flickering the music playing in Will's room the wall moving what an ender right what an ender it's scary it's eerie it's unique it's like oh my gosh is she gonna figure this out and she leaves but then true to form Joyce goes back in the house she's in her car the music starts up and instead of giving in to fear she goes back in the house probably one of the better moments for her that like no I'm facing this thing down I'm gonna go after it I really want to touch on something that happens in episode 3 but I'm not going to uh really really enjoyed that again that it's clear that Joyce is just going to be a, a a force of strength throughout this entire thing she doesn't back down she's going to go right back in and then Barb Barb just dis- disappearing with Nancy compromising I really really liked that that element they 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 set that up very nicely that it, it seems that Nancy and Steve oh it's gonna be super super cute but then as Nancy kind of compromises on what we co- sort of maybe consider is gonna be her standards um, just because of how Barb talked to her not that what she did is wrong we're not gonna judge and be like oh how dare she sleep with Steve but it did seem like she was compromising her standards Barb was acting like are you really gonna do this this is what you want to do and then Barb disappears that I think is an important, you know, trajectory change for Nancy because you know that's gonna that's gonna be something she's gonna have to think about uh, as the story progresses into episode three. So next week, that's the next episode on Tuesday. Every Tuesday we'll be working through Stranger Things. It'll be episodes three and four. So make sure you're here at 3 p.m. Eastern at RepeatTheaterLive.com. If you want to be a patron of the channel and support it for VIP call-ins or Q and A, go to RepeatTheater.com. You only need the live if you're trying to get to the YouTube channel. So as always, if you're listening in the other locations as a podcast or watching the podcast, I appreciate that very much. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater. This is going to be the Q&A session that followed my review of Season 1, Episodes 1 and 2. If you want to watch this show live, go to repeattheaterlive.com. If you want to support the the, the, pod, the podcast as a patron, just remove the live. Just go to repeattheater.com. That'll take you to the Patreon. But if you want to catch these live, uh, Mondays are for movies and Tuesdays are for TV. So right now, every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, we're walking through Stranger Things. And then we do wild card uh, movie picks for Wednesdays and then Breaking Bad on Thursdays. So I'll leave the calendar up for a little bit on the beginning of this episode there will not be any vip call-ins on this particular episode we're gonna do vip call-ins on a case-by-case basis there needs to be demand for it so if you really want to call in and discuss one of these shows pick that vip tier and get in the discord because the mcu vip call-in for captain america was dope more and more people are going to want to probably jump in as time goes on so agent atwood with the first question what was your favorite moment from each episode um I think for me, uh, let's go to, let's go to episode one. Um, 
Man, that's a tough one because there's so many moments that I think they do such a really, really good job with. I'd, I think I'd have to go with when they they show Joyce and Jonathan looking over the pics. It's either that or when she first talks to Hopper in the police station about her boy being gone. Um, I really, really like that. Anything with her in it's probably going to be my favorite. So in episode one, she sets the stage, I think, for we're supposed to feel a lot of times in a TV show, what they're trying to do is they're trying to have you feel the pain of what's going on. And sometimes it's difficult because for example, when I'm watching X-Files, I don't really feel the pain of like somebody who got murdered by some weird mutant wolf or somebody who's been kidnapped. I don't really feel the pain. I'm not connecting to it because that's not the point of the show. In in Stranger Things, one of the things I think that they do exceptionally well with Joyce, with Winona Ryder's character, is she conveys the pain and the severity of the situation in, in, in just such an honest way. Her hair's a mess. She's not taking care of herself. She's sleeping in the chair. Like, there's so much coming out of that that I especially as a parent it it, it it I connect with it in a very specific way so her being really frazzled and trying to convince Hopper that something is going on that not my boy not my boy something else is going on somebody took him and you know Hopper's thinking it's a family member or something so it would probably honestly it would be I would pick that would be that would be who I would that's the scene I would pick. In episode 1, my favorite scene is where she is trying to convince Hopper something serious is going on, and that's a consistent theme, right? Joyce knows what's going on. Her instinct is sharp. As a mom, she knows something's wrong. As a mom, she knows it's his voice on the phone. As a mom, like boom boom boom. She 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 knows exactly uh, what's going on. That's why I would pick that. Now in episode 2, you know, it's really really easy to pick which scene it would be where she goes back in you know that's not the end of the episode but it's pretty it's really close to the end of the episode where she gets scared she goes into his room the music starts playing the wall starts moving it's super creepy she runs out of the house and then she goes back in because she's in the car she's getting ready to leave and then the stereo turns on again and the 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 courage and the bravery she just kind of goes in slams the door behind her i think that's my favorite scene because it shows that she is going to be in many respects she's going to be sort of the the brave hero of the of the se- of 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 the season maybe i know there's lots of heroes in the in the season but she she is clearly the one that not only knows what's going on she has a clear indication and a clear instinct of what's going on like he is somehow communicating to her you know in some way and she's going to go back into the house so those are my two favorite scenes i i can't I, it's hard to, it's it's she's going to get picked a lot like if, if somebody asks this every week i'm going to go to her scenes most of the time because man she's just she's just stellar uh jay says considering how much fun they were having playing D, are you still a no D person also think the show captures the era of the 80s well i'll take the first half of your question i there's something about D&D that doesn't appeal to me. I can't quite put my finger on it. I watch people do it. I listen to people plan it. I listen to people get excited. And I'm like, that sounds dope. I have zero interest in that. Um, I just don't. It's, it's, not my, it's not my cup of tea. It's not how I'm wired. Uh, you know, it's obviously a major part of, of season one, especially with the parallels they build on right away. I, I loved how Will 
Will told Mike, you know, the the Demogorgon got me. You know, you could that was I think that was kind of the beginning of making you like him. He's honest. He he wasn't gonna compromise on. Oh no, you know, I didn't I didn't roll whatever he rolled. Um, you know, I it uh, they they set that up really really well. So I like how D and D is a part of it from the very very beginning. But I'm just not interested. It's not it's not really my thing. Now to your second question, do you think they capture the era of the '80s? Well, something that's going to happen, you know, in some of the in some of the episodes you haven't seen yet, and these are not spoilers, but they'll mention things like Star Wars and X Men and stuff, uh, and then obviously, I think in the second season, there's like an arcade. That's none of that spoiler. That's just stuff that happens, and I think they do a phenomenal job. I mean, as I was born in '81, so the clothing styles, the colors of their clothes, the stripes, the jackets, the the bikes you know the the basement there's the like there's something absolutely just on the money it reminds me of like going to my grandma's house and my aunt's house like just the way the 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 rooms are lit the furniture the lazy boy the tv like all of it i think they uh they nail it they absolutely nail it uh because the the show i think has a certain charm and a certain appeal if this would have happened in modern day it wouldn't have worked it wouldn't have worked as a show as well i don't think there's the the scariness and the severity of it gets more traction because there's no cell phones you know they they don't have ipads they're not you know they don't have big screen tvs you know they're getting around on bikes uh, there's something gritty and rural uh, and almost grassroots about it. There's something cool about the they decided to tell the story uh, in a, in a more in a, in, a, in a dated time. So especially when you look at things that that become really important, the walkie-talkie, you know, Jonathan's camera, um, the they you know there's toys and things that they end up playing with and it just it adds that layer of authenticity is what i would say there's a layer of authenticity that really really sells it and yeah the free range parenting oh that's such a good piece of insight soldier yeah the the be back at eight and they're riding their bikes around and they're just they're doing like the fact that the sun is down it's dark and these boys are riding their bikes home is we that you don't do that anymore right in 2020 you are not letting your kid come right riding home on his bike with a little light on it absolutely not yeah it has a strong et vibe yes exactly like that's why i think it becomes i i said it in my review it's believable that 11 could just hang out in the basement it's just it's believable now it's believable on a rewatch because the more you watch the show you more you get the more that you get that sense that like they're very hands-off parents they're not really aware of what you know where their kids are and what they're doing um and you know you got kids riding bikes and trying to say you know save the day uh it was just a very yeah it's a very different time so i think that's good too they 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 captured that's why i loved the dinner where the dad didn't say anything and she says i hope you're enjoying your chicken ted that that scene that that's an era of marriage that exists where dads were super hands off with the kids they they punched their 
time card. They came home, ate their dinner, got in their lazy boy and watched the news and said very, they didn't really have involvement in the parenting. They didn't interject or they, they would at the, like the mom's like, come on, will you say something? Listen to your mother. Listen to your mother. That's very consistent uh, with that era. I, I knew a lot of families like that where the dads were super hands off and it was the mom that kind of handled all of the, all the parenting and stuff. It's a, it's almost like a generational shift. It's not, it's not like that at all now. You know, a lot of uh, parenting philosophies have changed, and you know, my wife and I handle it. We we try to really convey to our children that we're a team, uh, that we're united, that you you can't ask her something that I already gave you an answer to, things like that. One of the things my kids always do is they'll say, you know, Mama, can I have a treat? And I'll say, No, 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 it's too close to dinner. And they'll, without skipping a beat, be like, I'm asking Mama. I'm like excuse me (laughs) it's like no 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 I can answer for her and she can answer for me we're the same we're a team you don't ask her and then like no no, I'm not asking you pops get out of here I'm asking mama I was like she's gonna give you the same answer she's gonna back my play buddy you know (laughs) something that my son has taken to that's hard not to laugh at he's about to be five uh, and uh, (laughs) he's about to be five and it's hard not to laugh he calls me a stupid old man when he gets angry. I'm like, go to your room. You need a timeout. He's like, Whoa. he's like, stupid old man. <laughs> and I have to not, I have to not laugh. I'm like, now you just got another minute. Go to your room. You know, no, no name calling. And uh, there was a, there was a, yeah, there was a different element back then. Um, dads were more discipline oriented. Mom handled other things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, that, that's another thing they do that really, really sells the era. Uh, that they're in, yeah, it's 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 really really cool. I like it. Giza says, enjoy the episodes. The first one started off slow, but I believe this will play uh, pay off with character development. Agreed. Do you feel this is the case? And did you like how they introduced the various cast? See, this is something I tried to touch on uh, in my review. Is character introductions are huge in a show like this? They're humongous, and the way the way that they like I highlighted like the way they introduce Hopper is just it's raw it's unapologetic it's like what in the actual huh this guy's a wreck and then all of a sudden he's the sheriff you know he's just he's sloppy he's kind of like I said he's kind of he's he's a little overweight he's a little frumpy he's he's kind of like he's just kind of like mangy looking he's got this mangy look to him and then you end up really growing to like him and then the way they convey the sadness they introduce Jonathan and Joyce there's this sadness hanging over the home and the way they interact there's this unspoken tension between them yeah, mornings are for coffee and contemplation. That's right. So the way they introduce yeah the characters, I think, is stellar. And it is slow, but it's super important into how this show progresses because a deepening of a character's resolve or the transformation of a character's decisions, so you're going to see some things happen with some of the characters where they either become convinced or they change or they decide they're not angry or are angry about something like they'll have some of those shifts and those movements and i think it has more of an impact you go from the the 
the sweet, charming, little cute postcard Nancy to there's a more serious tone with her as the season goes on. I'm not trying to spoil anything, but that character development with her, I think, gets more traction because you spend the first episode being like, oh, she is just as cute as a button, her little dresses and her little her little cute chin and her little ponytail. And then that, that transformation taking place is more enjoyable because she goes from cute little Nancy to to something more and and the the frazzled and the almost crazy looking Joyce continues in in a, in a really great crescendo uh, and so I love it I, I love the way that they slowly establish each character uh, yeah Steve yes and don't forget about Steve there's really really good transformations in this show and that's one of the really great selling points of a show is when they take their time this is why I tend to like shows more than movies in some respects I believe you know we're in the golden age of television people are talking about all these Marvel shows coming out I'm actually really excited about that because that that gives them more time to really build on a character's downfall, compromise, bravery, fear, sadness. Like you can really stew that and let that marinate more. So I really like that they took their time. Um, P.S. The opening scenes seem very familiar. Where might have we seen an intro like that before? Kappa. Giza, are you here? What are you driving at? I actually don't know. Is it is it is is it supposed to be a one to one inspired? It reminded me of of Aliens, where she's running from the Queen in the elevator, and it, like it reminded me a little bit of that. I don't know what Giza is driving at here. If anybody else knows, was there meant was there meant to be a very intentional one to one parallel shot with the opener? Because I know they do hat tips to certain things, but I don't know if that one was as as apparent. At least not as apparent to me um, as other things. You can tell he's been through something traumatic. Oh, you're talking about uh, Hopper, I think. Just the actual theme song sequence. Oh, 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 the opening theme song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where might I have seen an intro like that before? Oh, 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 you're talking about my intro. Yes, my intro is very inspired by Stranger Things. I don't know if I've ever... You guys probably know that. Uh, Whenever I approached the designer who built it for me, I said, I want it to be like Stranger Things. I want it to be very synthwave uh, influence with red neon lights and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't even catch that. I didn't catch that. <laughs> uh, the Torch. One thing that really stood out to me the first time I watched was how they maintained such a perfect balance between a show made in the late t- t- uh, 2010s with the feel of the 80s uh, thriller thoughts. This is really good because I think I I forget the breakdown. Somebody did a breakdown of this show that talked about how everybody is supposed to represent like a different genre. You know, Nancy and Steve are the romance and the boys are like the fantasy story. Like they're, they're approaching it from like a fantasy vantage point. And the, I, I forget them. I forget them all. But I do think the influence of an 80s thriller, you know, those those old scary movies where they won't show you anything, you know, it's it's lurking in the shadows. Uh, you know, I, I actually think they do a really, really good uh, job with that. I didn't have room to include this, but I mean, from the title to the music to the so- to the longer shots, it all harkens back to an 80s thriller. Yeah, 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 yeah. It that's actually a really that's a that's an observation that I didn't make was the cinematography and the art direction are borrowing from older movies. I think that reinforces the authenticity. It, w- there aren't, you know, <clears throat> there aren't quick pans and quick, 
you know, it, it doesn't feel supercharged the way, you know, a lot of stuff we watch now. So yeah, the the art direction and the cinematography, I think, bolsters the unique feel of the show that it's taking place in the 80s. It's got that 80s thriller vibe, but it's taking place in, you know, small town Hawkins. A lot of those older movies always took place in a smaller town. Um, I wonder why that is. I wonder if there's a reason that they really marketed movies back then to small town. Maybe that's where, you know, most of your moviegoers came from. So it made more sense, you know. Uh, it, it beachgoers, you know, probably were affected by Jaws, but, you know, suburban America was probably affected by, you know, Michael Myers and, sh- and, and old older movies like that. Um, so, anyone in the far future would watch Stranger Things and catalog it to the 1980s? Yeah. Even with the show's opening, it's grainy, like I'm watching an old VHS recording. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the other thing they do in the beginning is they do, like, the really big, bold text title... And then it, and then you can see through it, and then it zooms in. It's like an old, an old timey transition, like back when they would like learn new technology, and they always wanted to show off those transitions. They don't do stuff like that now. Yeah, that the transitions, the art direction, the big bold letters at the beginning, you know, episode two, you know, whatever the titles of them are. I actually really, really like that. That was something cool they did in the control uh, video game the big white text when you went into new areas uh really really dope it hints at stuff from that i watched as a kid born 82 yeah it's born 81 yeah it does it takes you back you know it 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 feels a little star wars you know the big letters that 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 putting putting big words big big high contrast letters on the screen for you to read you know i like that i think that gives it that man it just it keeps coming back to like it the, the authenticity of it you know my 14-year-old daughter is obsessed with Stranger Things. She's the one who got me to watch it. Oh, that's cool. When, like, a younger generation. Um, Necro says, small towns are creepy. While everyone knows each other, you'd think you're safe until a Mike, Mike Myers is in town. It'd be boring in a bigger city. Yeah, yeah. I think there's um, there's a greater sense of this could happen anywhere if it happens in rural America. Like, big cities are kind of known for, like, yeah, there's crime and stuff. You know, you don't think about it as much. Um... Yeah, yeah, it's like the Stephen King font. Yeah, yeah, it does. It feels a little bit like that Stephen King font, like the big bold, uh, the big bold letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ham sandwich. Do you feel the show relies too much on nostalgia from huge '80s movies as opposed to having its own identity? This is where I would definitely say no. I think it does really have its own identity. I've never watched a show like this. It obviously borrows. It feels a little E.T. I think the bikes are supposed to be a slight hat tip to E.T. Um, that you know, just a thematic little head nod to a movie that that clearly feels similar in some respects. But I don't think it re- it relies too much on nostalgia. I mean, obviously, in one of the episodes that we're going to talk about next week, you know, there's a Millennium Falcon toy and stuff like that. But I don't think they lean on that too heavily. It really feels character driven. There, I think that's what was what we just touched on with one of the previous questions about the slowness of episode one really slowly introducing the characters. It feels far more character driven than nostalgia driven. I'm, I'm more concerned about what happens with certain characters than I am with like, oh, it's just such a, a you know, it just takes me back to my days in the 80s. You know, it doesn't really do that, I don't think. Um, 
I just think it feels like they give that that, that it has that authentic feel like it really took place back then um, and I think that's what those those themes and threads are doing but I've I don't think there's any show or movie that really falls into this category of you know sci-fi thriller it it it's it's it is it's very Stephen King feeling. I guess that I guess I would say it feels a little bit like some of his stuff, but it doesn't it doesn't fall I think out, outside of its own identity that's kind of carved out for itself. Uh, when we get into the other seasons, I think they do some things that that betray the identity of the show a little bit. I think that happens uh, in in some of the other seasons, and we can talk about that. They do some things where people are like, you know, doing some other things in other places and it feels a little disjointed but season one is just a home run i feel like it's very much doing it's carving out that identity uh i always thought of this show as a love letter to nerd culture and 80s and 90s kids grew up with that kind of stuff yeah a little bit um somebody says it has an x-files feel too i remember when i was trying to get my wife into x-files i told her because we'd already watched stranger things i said x-files is like law and order and stranger things had a baby like that's what it's like and we we've really really enjoyed x-files i think because it brings those two themes out like the the supernatural the extraterrestrial combined with like a crime drama you know um it has so much borrowed in spirit but not directly that makes it feel like it's it's uh it feels great without stealing yeah Every once in a while, you're like, oh, that makes me think of so-and-so. But then you kind of snap out of it, and you're like, okay, yep, back into the show, back into the feel, back into the vibe. Um, yeah, I think they do a very, very good job of of taking inspiration from and, and, and definitely having those touchstones. It's like there's fingerprints of the 80s. The 80s aren't dominating the show. Uh, it's it's more meant to set that feel that it really truly is happening back then. Um, scenes from the show were filmed close to where I live. There's a grocery store scene coming up in an episode that's an actual grocery store where I used to work as my first job when I was 15. Well, that has to really add an element of as we've used the word a lot today, authenticity for you. That you know these are real places. This is this is a you know this is a small town feel. It's a small town place. Uh, that has to really add that for you uh, as well. So, listen if you're if you're watching this recording later or you're listening to this recording later, Monday through Thursday we do this show live on YouTube. RepeatTheaterLive.com will get you here. Every Tuesday we're we're working our way through Stranger Things. Monday we're working through Marvel, and then Wildcard Wednesdays. Uh, the next Wildcard it's not listed yet is Hot Fuzz, and then Thursdays is for Breaking Bad. If you like the idea of a show like this. Uh, where you come in, we talk about episodes and movies, you can call in if you want VIP, you can submit questions if you want that I just read, you can do that so make sure to go to repeattheaterlive.com click subscribe and the bell button uh, that way you never miss a show, if you want to support it and become a patron uh, just remove the live and go to repeattheater.com, repeattheater.com takes you to Patreon, repeattheaterlive.com takes you to the live channel, the YouTube channel, those are great ways to support me and this show, every day Monday through Thursday, 3pm Eastern also, if you're a tier one member, you can do watch parties in Discord with us almost every night. You can watch these episodes together. 
Uh, it's all on the up and up. It's an extension in Chrome. You still need to have a subscription to Netflix uh, or Disney. But we've been doing watch parties every night around 9 p.m. Eastern. So we got more Stranger Things on the docket tonight. If you're all caught up and ready for next week, we will be watching episode four. Uh, tonight to prepare for next week so thanks so much if you're listening or watching in the other locations as always i say please like share and subscribe